for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Referees, aka Refer. Wait, did I just say referees? <laughs> I'm a. Uh, did I say Reese, aka referees, or referees, aka referees? I'm referees, also known as referees. I've just I'm Chad Ocho Cinkoing. <laughs> this just going straight meta right now. Reese is that uh, that Jacksonville Jaguars Scooby Doo meme <laughs> where it's referees. He takes his masks off and it's referees. Sorry about that, everybody. Welcome to our show. You know, I I'm just so taken aback, Reese, because no longer is it this backdrop of miscellaneous clothes, miscellaneous baseball cards, miscellaneous. Uh, who knows what was in that closet? I see a beautiful uh, pale wall behind you, and dare I say you have uh, two screens going on right now. You got a bunch of outlets. Reese, since we're not live, please give us the dramatic reading of your new office. So it's like an Iron Man 1 when he builds that first just like Garbaggio suit right now because that's where my office setup currently is. You can tell it's like, yes, this is a man. Yes, it's made out of iron. Yeah, he has. This is going to be on Disney Plus. I know it. <laughs> exactly. He's got he's got guns. He does that like glorified leap kind of flying before he crashes. That's where I'm sitting at right now. It's like my battle station. Let me show you real quick. See, and while you show me, please, please describe it to the audience. Well, see, I, I can't even do it because. And you have to describe it in ASMR as well. I can't even do it because. So the, the the cabling I have right now, at least the layout, it's too short. So I can't even rotate my computer ninety degrees to show you that on one monitor I am watching the finale of Bills Patriots, and on this monitor I am having a conversation with you while sitting in a chair with a back on it with a microphone. Oh my god. With a back? Dude, this is the height of luxury. This is like when you're a teenager and your dad gets you that piece of crap like 92 Honda Civic, and you're like, wow, I'm going to pick up so many chicks and friends with this. This is awesome. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. You're, you're going to see some, some Chiefs memorabilia lying in the wall behind me. No oh, more I closets for live streams. I'm, I'm on top of the world right now. See some Elvis Elvis Garback in the back. And yeah, man. Elvis Garback, Elvis Costello, Elvis Presley. Just a wall of Elvis tributes. Brody, Brody Croyle. Yeah, man. It's, it's going to be great. It's, I don't know many other Brodies outside of Brody Croyle besides the guy I grew up down the street with at my first house. Well, as you all can see, Reese is fired up about his new place. He's got his own podcast office there in his uh, undisclosed location. So we are happy for Reese and we're happy for this podcast. It's going to be a lot of great stuff happening. Speaking about great stuff, Reese, tell us about your Thanksgiving. Any uh, Anything fun from there? And also, we took a week off. You all saw our Sunflower State FC episode, which was actually filmed before last week. So Reese and I haven't seen each other again for uh, about a week. So tell me, Thanksgiving and last week, how'd it go? It was good. I went back up to Iowa to see my immediate family, Sans my younger sister. I saw my grandparents who are both in their early mid-90s. So, you know, basically at this point, anytime I get to see them is, you know, a blessing. Uh, it was good. My dad cooked dinner. I... <laughs> They dropped it on me. They're like, we are repainting the house and we would like to put a new television in the front room. Can you help us? So like I helped my dad. Oh, no. I, I, uh, I helped Black, my dad. Black pick Friday became uh, work Friday. Well, so what's funny is 
the the TV I was actually going to recommend to him was on Black Friday sale. Not some cheap Black Friday doorbuster TV, but like a decent TV on sale. So I got it for him from Best Buy. I mean, using their credit card, I didn't pay for this TV. And uh, my dad's like, <laughs> my dad's like, when shall we go inside to pick it up? And I'm like, well, we can do curbside pickup, Dad. And he's like, oh, that sounds grand. So anyway, the next day, we drive to Best Buy in Waterloo, Iowa. This is Saturday. So like, there's nobody there. All of the, the curbside pickup spots are open. Long story short, I'm like, pull up the email they sent you. I'm like, okay, hit the I'm here button. I'm like, all right, they're going to be here in like 15 seconds. Let's hop out and put the seats down. He's like, they won't, it won't be that quick. And uh, so so it's funny because my dad is so amazed by this that he, he like brought a bank statement with him and like crossed out the important info to have like proof there was his credit card. <laughs> and so, so we put the seats down in the car and we get back in the car. And like no sooner does he open his door, do like these two, you know, pretty big dudes carrying a big TV coming out. My dad's like, do you think that's for us? And I'm like... There's nobody else in the drive-through pickup spots. Yes, <laughs> it's just us in Waterloo. And and they help him out. They just put the TV right in the back, close the door, and they're like, "All right, sir, have a good day." And my dad's like, "Is there anything else you need from me?" And I'm just like, "Dad, you would be the worst kid at like trying to get alcohol or cigarettes from anybody." It's it's almost like he wanted to show the bank statement. It was so funny. And we get in the car and then drive to my grandparents after that. And for like five minutes, he was just so like blown away and giddy and amazed by it. It was like it was like when you give a kid like their first piece of pizza, they don't know what to do with it. It was just like incredible. What did what did your dad do during COVID? Did he just not do any uh, shopping at all? I, I guess not. I mean, I think they did like Hy-Vee pick up groceries when they could. Um... But man, I, I don't think they did much shopping now you mention it. I don't think they did anything they bought. Welcome, Papa Talbot, to <laughs> the post-COVID world where you can get anything, even a really expensive TV, done in uh, two seconds. I, I told you Skynet would take over one day. So anyway, that's the story of the Talbot family Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? <laughs> oh, it was good, man. Uh, I think I said on the last pod... Well, actually, it was right before Thanksgiving that we did our pod, but I was already in Arizona. Um, and yeah, it was a great time, man. My sister was there, brother-in-law. Um, it was also my parents' anniversary slash my mom's birthday. Uh, they got married on my mom's birthday, so my dad could never forget their anniversary. Mm-hmm. And he has not forgot it for 34 years, so that's great. Oh, wow. Shout out to dad. Um, <laughs> Big shout out. So, uh, so yeah, so we had a great time. Uh, great food. I I smoked the turkey on the Traeger, and this time I didn't mess around. This time I did a what did I do? Like I did, I did a fourteen hour brine on the turkey, which we didn't brine it before because I thought doing it on the Traeger would mean that all this like expansion of flavor is just gonna hit the turkey, but it could still get pretty dry on that Traeger. So I made sure I I lathered that baby up every hour. I would go with the baser and I would get all the juices that are from the pan poured all over. It actually came out pretty good. Um, my my second time on the Traeger and hopefully it becomes a tradition where I where I throw the bird on the Traeger, man. That, that was good. That's awesome. How long did you say you smoked it for? Uh, we smoked it for about six hours. Okay, right on. 
That's a good length. Yeah, it room. actually smoked a lot better than when we first, because like my dad literally bought the Traeger like the week before, and we had to get all like the white smoke out and get the stuff burning. So it, that one took a while. That one took an eight-hour smoke, and I think we accidentally left it in too much. Because if you put the 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 temperature on the breast and you put it in too far, it could hit a bone. It could hit something else. So like. The temperature is supposed to be at a, a solid 165, and I had accidentally put it close to the bone, which then increases the temperature by like 20 degrees. So it says that it's 185, but it's not even close. Gotcha. So, um, that was my that was my mistake last time. This time I didn't do that, and it was a delicious bird. Uh, and this week just finished up at school. Um, I teach here in uh, in Colorado. We just finished our finals, so. Uh, I am almost on break. I got to do a couple more things, but uh, yeah, man, it's going pretty well. Before we go into the Chiefs game, let's just do a couple things. Reese, give us a, our social media blurb. If you like what you hear, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram for some of the dankest memes this side of the Mississippi River at Fountain City SM. If you really like what you hear and you want to chip a couple bucks our way to support our podcast, check us out at patreon.com backslash FCSM. That is FCSM, where you'll find outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Excellent. And also, don't forget, last week we posted the Sunflower State FC interview, which was exclusive and looks like they may have some more news coming up, who knows, in the, in the coming months, maybe within the year and they told us that we would be the first ones to break that news so stay tuned give us a like on social media and check out that podcast because it's a lot of fun i know we've been doing a ton of chiefs content but uh this one's actually a lot of fun a good break from that chiefs content we also have some other great interviews uh like wyatt mills from the seattle mariners we also have some other interviews with with people in the beer industry like skip from weldworks or Courtney Service from Service Brewing Company. So check all that out. All right, moving right along, Reese. Let's let's do a quick fantasy update for all those people that are just baiting at the breath about our fantasy team, Clyde and Prejudice. Uh, looks like we're definitely not going to make the playoffs. I think our percentage has to be like 10% at this point because we are 5-7. and seven. But it's always good to have a, a win. So we just beat my brother who uh, mocked us and made his team called the FCSM official team, which they are not. So we're currently beating, we're about to beat him, 100.3 to 90.72. And who would have thought, Reese, that we would beat my brother with Tyrod Taylor scoring 1.3 points, Ezekiel Elliott scoring 5.7 points, and our top wide receiver scoring 2.5 points in Devontae Smith. Uh, but we are going to pull out this win with the help of the immaculate T. Higgins, 24.3 points. T.J. Hawkinson, just a two-week streak. Shout out to the Detroit Lions for also winning. Uh, T.J. Hawk had uh, 12.9 points. And Chris Godwin, now that A.B. is probably going to get released from the Bucks, is just dominating on the Buccaneers. He has 22.7 points. And the ever-present Justin Tucker with seven points. And the Bucs 
Bucks D against the Falcons, an easy nine points. So things are going pretty well for us. Uh, we're probably not going to make the playoffs, but these are some pretty fun wins, I think. Let's see what the playoff standings are for all those people that are listening back home. Yeah, uh, I'm looking here, and it says, man, it is just such like a thicket of teams outside of Stone Cold Chief Austin's team. Uh, I mean, yeah, fully loaded William Grundler. He's doing pretty well, too. He's at eight and four, but we're five and seven. There's another team of five and seven. There's two teams at no, three teams at six and six, and two teams at seven and five. So it's like, I feel with like the way the team's been playing, if we had another three weeks, I think we could make the playoffs. But as it is, it's going to take a bevy of miracles for us to pull this one out. Even though, how is the, how is the first tiebreaker not like points scored? We say having the most points scored in the league outside of Austin. I know, right? Well, it looks like right now the projected standings is obviously Stone Cold Chief Austin, number one, who's going to battle... Uh, Buffalo Mike, who would be the fourth seed, and then the three and the two seed would be Will Grundler, and then Mike Sang would be playing each other. You and I would be in the consolation ladder. If they were tomorrow, we would be playing our boy Miracle on 34th Street, Kyle, with a 6-6 and record right now, so that would be fun. Hey, maybe we can even get Kyle on, do some trash talk. That'd be fun. Dude. Kyle's oh no Kyle's just gonna miss the playoffs oh that's a that's a bummer but yeah no, that'd be great dude let's, yeah. get, let's get reunited with Kyle on here that'd be awesome. I know that'd be awesome stay tuned ladies and gentlemen for more content from us about our fantasy team in the consolation championship baby yep 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 second place is the best so stay tuned there because Reese made the inception of the PBR apology, let's just always make an apology because we always get something wrong. You know, every week we got to get something wrong. And Reese, one thing I got wrong two weeks ago, I said Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback to ever live in fantasy and then right after i say that he has an abysmal game two weeks ago since you guys weren't here last week uh let me go back to that game sorry i gotta find his uh, there we are all right so right after i said jalen hurts is the best quarterback ever he plays the new york giants and has a 6.86 fantasy day which was awful three interceptions no touchdowns and then he gets injured and doesn't play against the new york jets so pbr apology to the fans for me bragging about jalen hurts because he sucks and so does Devonte smith who i never said was good but uh definitely sucks question yes, did he have a bad game the same week he hurt his shoulder which caused him to be out this week correct he did have a but he was pretty crappy before the shoulder injury are we gonna rip on a guy with a bad shoulder is that what we're devolving into gotcha media yes reese because i picked up Taysom hill right after that and Taysom hill had three interceptions but still scored 20.66 fantasy points so guess who we're starting next week reese that's right the crappy the should never be a quarterback Taysom hill because of those sweet sweet legs he has where I think he had over 100 rushing yards that game. So an awful quarterback, but an amazing fantasy quarterback. And who does he play next week? The New York Jets. Wow. That's who we're starting. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. Is Garner Minshew still out there? Uh, with Philly? Well, if, 
If Jalen Hurts is injured again, of course, Gardner Minshew will play. There is no way in hell that Gardner... Well, actually, sorry, we have to play Taysom Hill because the Eagles are on a bye week 14. Ah. So week 15 is when we can see Jalen Hurts back. Uh, I doubt, I doubt they would start Minshew over Hurts if Hurts is um, healthy because he, he's, he's still their guy. In the case that that would ever happen... Um, that would be really stupid. Okay, because I'm just saying I had to pick Garner Minshew up uh, for my fantasy team in my other league this week, and he came in with a ripe 18-7-8. So I mean, if you're looking that way, it's not a bad idea. If, if you if you have some incompetent players in that league, you might want to flip him for anything because you're basically you're going to have to drop him next. Week. I mean, probably. I really need to flip him for some uh, wide receiver help. Keenan Allen just got placed on the COVID list, and he helped carry my team this last Ooh. week. Yeah, I mean, if if someone doesn't know that the Eagles are on a bye next week, you might be able to flip him for a flex or for like a wide receiver three. Yeah. Okay, I can do that. So good luck. Good luck. Remember, fantasy football, you have to be ruthless. I, ruthless. I am going to Gordon Gecko the crap out of this. Fantasy football greed is good. Reese, tell us how that game is. We got 21 seconds left. It looks like. Um, well, is uh, who has possession? The the Pats, right? They're just going to kneel. Spoiler alert: On a fourth and 14, Josh Allen fires a strike to the end zone, which is effortlessly batted down by the Patriots. They're going to go on to win this Wind Bowl, 14 to 10. Wow. Yep. 14 to 10. I am an X amount of dollars richer because I placed a bet on the Patriots against Buffalo. Mike. Oh. And not not only do the Patriots win, but they win with Mac Jones completing two out of his three passes. That is amazing. <laughs> and with that, that's right. This is a winning pod. Armando wins his bet, and the Chiefs beat the Broncos 22 to 9. Reese, who would have thought that the Chiefs would beat the Broncos with Patrick Mahomes having one interception, zero touchdowns, one sack, and a 57.2 QBR rating? Oh boy. And not only was it a win, but it was an emphatic win. And who would have thought with that stat line? But we start here, Reese. It's been 2,272 days since the Broncos last beat the Chiefs, or six years, two months, and 19 days. Do you know on that game who was the leading receiver for the Chiefs? Uh, Don't tell me because I watched this game. Uh, It was Jeremy Macklin, wasn't it? Ding, 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 ding. Jeremy Macklin, six years ago, was the Chiefs leading receiver that game. Ugh. Obama was president, and America was eagerly awaiting the release of Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Ugh. Oh, dude, that was that was a rough game. You know, it's a funny stat that you say it's been that long since the Broncos have beaten us, because that was my very first Chiefs-Broncos game moving to Kansas City. So... In my time in Kansas City, the Broncos had beaten us once, and it was on an uncharacteristic Jamal Charles fumble scoop and score that clinched the game. We just had to eat the clock. That was heartbreaking. Yeah, that would have been 
Yeah, you came here, what, 2016? Uh, 2015, fall 2015. That's crazy, man. And it looks like the streak will continue. Reese, let's talk about the defense before we talk about the offense. So the defense shines. A couple interceptions. Of course, we have the pick six by our boy, Dirty Dan, and then a really nice Melvin Ingram, Willie Gay sandwich on our, on our not our boy, Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> Since week six... The Chiefs have the best scoring defense in the NFL with 13.7 points, followed by, right now, the Pats at 14 points. That may have changed with today's game, but um, I think we still have that record. Reese, what was the most impressive thing that you saw from our defense today? Uh, I think it's the fact that they're not just playing bend, don't break ball right now. They're playing very aggressive defense, and it seemed like every play they were getting to Teddy Bridgewater and flushing him out of the pocket, which for a guy, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's not Lamar Jackson, but he's still a mobile dude. So to be able to get him out of the pocket and still contain his legs as well as we saw, I think that was the single most impressive thing I saw from the defense last night. What's your take? Yeah, I'm going to jump on what you said. It's actually crazy that Teddy Bridgewater only ran four times yesterday for a total of 17 yards because someone with those legs, someone with what didn't look like a good offensive line, you would have thought that he would have found some holes or found some space, but he just frankly didn't have enough time. He didn't have enough time to do anything, and he's not the best decision maker, so there was a lot of things that happened during during the game where it was like, like that easy interception that Juan Thornhill had. Of course, the 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 give me that Dirty Dan had. Just a lot of mistakes by Teddy Bridgewater and a very inaccurate quarterback. Like he can throw the ball. We saw a couple deep shots in the beginning of the game, um, but he just didn't have it. So it was super impressive to see us get the pressure. Not only that, Reese, but I think I was the most impressed with the cornerbacks. Our cornerbacks just look great. We didn't have Rashad Fenton, but you know what? My Q stepped up. Um, Trivarius Ward goes from, again, I'm just going to keep harping on it, another PBR apology for Trivarius Ward being doo-doo one and me saying that for the past two years. But Trivarius Ward has only al- allowed two recept- two receptions for 19 yards on seven targets as the nearest defender on the Chiefs during that Broncos game. Ward has allowed the lowest completion percentage this season among any cornerback with only 40% completion rating. So, I mean, this is elite territory, Reese. I know I like to throw that word out to tease you or just to kind of get some gotcha media, but this is actually elite territory. Even though he's not getting the interception, he's still playing great one-on-one defense. We saw that against Tim Patrick. We saw that against Corden Sutton. Sutton. I mean, these are some good wide receivers. Jerry Judy's no scrub. Tim Patrick's no scrub. Cortland Sutton's no scrub. So it's really great to see our cornerbacks firing and firing at the right time. Anything else that you want to add about the defense, Reese? Uh, you know, they seem to be playing really aggressive ball where they're actively going to hit the ball carrier and they're not just, you know, trying to get to him and slow him down. They're not just thinking somebody else is going to be there. They're really swarm tackling people or gang, you know, gang tackling. I don't even want to call it, but it's it's really impressive to me because they seem to play so passive for the first about like four and a half, five weeks of the year, 
And it came along the time, you know, we flipped out Dan Sorensen, flipped out Ben Neiman, and we started getting more touches for uh, getting Willie Gay out with more snaps, started getting uh, Juan Thornhill out there with more snaps, that suddenly the defense seems to be playing with a bit of energy, a bit of pop, a bit of speed, and a bit of that look we saw towards the end of last year in Week 16 against the Atlanta Falcons and also in the playoffs against the Buffalo yeah. Bills. It's We are hitting our stride, just like you said. Honey Badger alluded to it in the post game as well. He said, I don't even think that we've played our, our best game yet, and I hopefully that best game is going to be the Super Bowl. Reese, talking about this defense, and now we're talking about Super Bowl. Now we're talking about some of the best, off- or best defense in the NFL. Now we're talking about some elite cornerback play. How much of this success is Spags, and how, or how much much of this success is people hitting their stride kind of something we talked about last week but give me a percentage of spags or just individual talent showing. um i'm gonna say this one is probably 63 37 spags to talent Ooh. Uh, mainly because we've seen it in the past when he was with the giants the year they beat the patriots in the super bowl Towards the end of his first year with us, when he has the right personnel on the field, his schemes are actually pretty good. You know, he plays a very aggressive scheme where he's like, I'm going to take pressure off of my defensive backs, which admittedly are still probably the weakest like part of our defensive core. But with the defensive line now starting to get pressure by moving Chris Jones on the inside and primarily taking away the two soft targets, Sorensen and Neiman, it really looks like his scheme is starting to like flesh out the way he wants it to. And I'm going to bring the Giants back up. The way the line is playing right now where every play they can get pressure with the four-man front is very reminiscent of watching that 2007 Giants team with Michael Strahan. Wow. That that's the first time that we've seen a uh, a Chiefs 2007 Giants comparison here, Reese. Shall I say hot take, Reese? Well, I mean, maybe sort of the fact that like I'm backing Spags now, but I, I think again, it's I don't know if it was Spags' decision to stop playing the two aforementioned players, but it's incredible how much better the defense is when they don't have to like watch out for two liabilities right there. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to um, Seth Kaiser. He's got some great contact on Twitter. One thing that he mentioned was, uh, quote, it's fitting that Sorensen's interception came when he was aligned in the box and Juan Thornhill's came when he was aligned at deep safety. Kansas City's defense is figuring things out and peaking at the right time. So those are both two things that you and I talked about and alluded to um, earlier in 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 the season as well where Sorensen not only is he playing too many snaps but he's playing out of position and he's playing um playing cover and playing in a position that requires a lot of athleticism where we weren't seeing Juan Thornhill right so now Juan Thornhill is playing that deep deep safety where you need the speed you need the athleticism and then you put Sorensen in the box where he can make decisions like the reason why he uh, made the interception was because he was supposed to be guarding the running back running back was actually going to block and then you use Sorensen or Dirty Dan's smart brain. That's when the IQ comes in when he doesn't have to guard someone. All right. Like, th- this is the perfect situation for Sorensen. He comes in for 10% of the snaps. The one snap that he doesn't have to guard someone or shadow someone, then he makes a decision. So, a really uh, great analysis by Seth Kaiser that I wanted to bring up because, yeah, finally, we're doing things that we need to do and we're not just messing around and playing Ben Neiman. 
80% snaps. Sorensen, 90% snaps. We're seeing the uptick of the young guys. Um, haven't seen a ton of Bolton, and I wonder if that is because we're seeing more Willie Gay um, and Anthony Hitchens. Obviously, we definitely saw he he made his his name known yesterday with that I, hit. Um, so, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'm concerned about that. I I didn't put that in the. Uh, outline but any thoughts about not seeing Bolton very much well I think you hit the nail on the head I think Bolton's the future Mike linebacker on this team and with Hitchens being back you know I still think they want to have him like you know take a year and learn under Hitch but honestly if the team is still playing this well in defense I'll be like you know what sure I guess we have the luxury of letting him kind of take back and you know take another year to learn uh, he is down to just about 30% snaps on the defensive side of the ball which is surprising for what is arguably our best tackling linebacker uh, but, you know, it's funny that Seth Kaiser said what he said about Sorensen, because I think you and I have both said it, too, that he's not worthless player-wise. There's a role for him, but the role is not being a free safety and being left on an island one-on-one coverage. What's ironic... Exactly. What's ironic is that, like, he is built to be the nickel linebacker instead of Ben Neiman. You gotta kick Neiman off there. Sorensen's a little more athletic. Sorensen's a little more quicker. And, you know, that's what he should be. He should be the guy to kind of cover that middle ground between the defensive line and the safeties. And to my credit... I made that joke saying that at best, <laughs> Neiman and Sorensen are each worth half a player. Well, last night you saw it. They each did half of a play. Neiman tipped a ball and Sorensen intercepted it and ran it back. So there you go. Two halves make a hole. Tweedledee and Tweedledum predicted by Reese Talbot. Mm-hmm. I was trying to make that rhyme and I couldn't make that rhyme. Sorry. Okay. It's a tricky tricky name to rhyme. <laughs> That's true. Let's let's think of all the rhymes that we could do with Talbit. Uh ready and go. Talbit. Yeah, he is the best. Ha ha. You thought I was gonna say something else. <laughs> and with that, let's head to our beer review reads. Yeah. <laughs> Talbit, gonna take a sip. Better watch out. I'm inside of it. Oh, It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. It is This Week in Craft Beer. It's the section where we sit down and talk about something going on this week in craft beer. And we also review a delicious craft beer. Now, this week, I was going to make a follow-up story about how after the sale of Bell's to Lion Brewery in Australia, a.k.a. Kieran as the grant company, New Holland is now Michigan's largest independent craft brewery. But no, Armando has some breaking news that he is excited (laughs) to share with us. Armando, will you tell our listeners what this week in craft beer story is going to be about instead? What if if I told you that beer's... No longer made from wheat, but from butterflies. Oh gosh, dude. That sounds like a serial killer like I'm whispering like in my a ears. Bird, only fly away. Oh, is this a Vanessa Carlton themed beer? Um yeah, well, you know what, and this actually kinda hits home. Uh, because Reese and I have both lived here for a short amount of time. So here is what I have for you today, and I just looked up where it was and it yeah, it was like super close to where we lived. So Reese, West Hill Brewing Company in Indianola, Iowa, that's right, Indianola, um, has made the first ever Butterfly IPA. Okay, I I have two questions out of this. Number one, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm going to look up how long West Hill has been a thing because we, you and I were in Indianola not too long ago, and if there was a craft brewery there, I would have heard about it. Hold on. Yeah, and it's it's literally walking distance from the brick house and zoo. You got to be kidding. This has to be like brand new. All right, here we go. Yeah, it's got to be because it's West Hill Brewing Company. Okay, website. Now they got a 4.9 star rating. That must be good stuff. Uh, That's good. Hold on. Okay. FAQs. Are dogs allowed? Are kids allowed? Okay. I literally have nothing about when they started. This is so fascinating. Okay. So anyway, I'll look that up. But the second question is, what on this green earth is a butterfly beer? Good question, Reese. I've done extensive research on the ground, and I'm pleased to report that this is the first butterfly IPA in world history. So catch this. It's made out of butterfly yeast. Well, I mean, not all beer is made out of yeast, but of course you have a yeast culture when you brew beer. So instead of it being from normal yeast, what they do is they... The people from the brewery actually catch butterflies, take a Q-tip, and take the, like, essence from the butterfly, obviously not killing it, and then putting it on this Petri dish, and then somehow the essence from the butterfly turns into yeast, which then goes into the beer. And I must say, the reporter that I saw that drank this beer did not look happy. Uh, uh, I think I'm going to retch in my mouth. This sounds like some sort of, oh my goodness. It's like, like silence of the lambs. <laughs> it sounds like some sort of like d- terrible Cronenberg butterfly, the fly beer. Where we're all just gonna be like mutant butterfly people from drinking this. <laughs> what is butterfly yeast? That's disgusting. <laughs> That's not right. I mean, it, they, they they definitely did not go into detail as to how the yeast was like cultured on that petri dish. Literally, what they did was they just like brushed the side of the butterfly with a Q-tip, and then whatever they got on that, they were able to put on that petri <laughs> dish. I can't imagine how many butterflies first you have to find. They said they went to like local farms and local places to catch the butterflies and then somehow grab them and somehow like take the stuff from them but uh pretty wild huh u.s beer news being broken in our second love our second home reese well unfortunately one of my all-time favorite beers and mount crushmore nominee in my opinion the changeling dark sour has a moth on the bottle it looks kind of like a silence of the lambs moth sort of thing but now I'm just going to think of eating mothy butterfly yeast anytime I look at that beer and drink that. So thank you, West Hill Brewing Company, which started on October of 2019. Uh, for our for our Patreon fans out there, uh, please uh, give us a generous donation so Reese and I can uh, <laughs> take a first class flight to Indianola and go, you know, put our boots on the ground. And make sure, like, what is happening here at West Hill? I think we're going to have to do, like, a full, like, 60-minute investigation on these butterfly IPAs. I'm looking at flights from Kansas City to Des Moines right now. I don't even know if that's possible. Oh, it is. Get this. I can get a flight from Kansas City to Des Moines 
It is uh, a nice connecting 10 hour and 45 minute flight. For what, $10? So to get to Des Moines from Kansas City, let's see. This has one stop. This has two stops. Oh, sorry. I, I stand corrected. There is a nice, easy eight and a half hour trip. Uh, this goes Des Moines. You can probably walk from Kansas City to Indianola in eight hours. I mean, I could bike from Kansas City to Indianola in eight hours, probably. No, this is hilarious. What's my itinerary here? Uh, one stop. Yep, Kansas City to Chicago, Chicago to Des Moines. If you do that, you know what? If we reach 100 Patreon subscribers, I will take the flight from Kansas City to Des Moines and go to this brewery. The end. We've said all we can say. And when when you, when you go, can you put on a like Sherlock Holmes... Uh, jacket with like a magnifying glass and the hat and say what where are you really getting these butterflies from <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Billy Corgan tried to warn us bullet with butterfly wings circa 1994 but we just didn't listen <laughs> and with that Reese tell us what you will be reviewing for us today and uh, we we hope it is not a west hill butterfly IPA. Oh gosh no gross this is a delicious south peak spider yeast ale i'm looking forward to this very much <laughs> uh no today i will be reviewing straight from belgium I, you know, I've heard this said a million billion times. I'm afraid of saying it wrong. Meridsus, it is an Abbey Ale. It's a triple. And uh, it is 10%, 11.2 fluid ounces. It comes in those awesome, like, kind of smaller bottles that you see, you know, from those delicious Belgian ales. And, uh, wait, who's the brewery? Uh, Duval? Meridsus. Meridsus Abbey is actually a Belgian monastery. So this is like, you know how a lot of these big heavy beers. Whoa, this is the monk beers. Yeah, this this is like OG. This is from the actual monks that you know they had to take a vow of like a lot of not fun things in their life, but they could brew. So a lot of these old style Belgian Abbey ales are serious business. And I've got my wait. Let's 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 make sure that that you're not cracking open a like like a. A 1923 Onus Wagner on accident. Oh no, 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 sir, no, sir. This is uh, this is this is delicious non Onus Wagner. I can't even say his name. Yeah. So anyway, get ready for this. I'm very excited, Armando. What are our categories and criteria? For those of you following at home or maybe new to this, um, we rate our beers with one, two. Three, four, five, six different categories went from a scale from zero to ten, and you can use the decimal system if you like. And the first category we rate our beers is aroma. Reese, what is the aroma on that beer when you pour it into a glass? Spoiler alert, I already cracked it open because I didn't want to bring a bottle opener in here. Mmm, ten out of ten. Look at that. Okay. Aroma. Ooh. Great head. All right, so it's got kind of a sweet and bitter smell to it. Uh, so some of that barnyardiness that you can kind of get, you know, from uh, that non-butterfly derivative yeast. Um, 
I'd say it's a lot. It's a lot of bitterness. Some fruity notes in there. Uh, I'm definitely getting like some prune, some raisin. All things considered, it smells different. It's not my cup of tea and it's not my favorite thing. I guess my mouth watering. So I'm just going to come off the bat and give aroma on this uh, flat seven. All right. Flat seven sounds pretty good to me. Let's move on to our next category, which is appearance just from looking on my end that's a beautiful appearance but reese tell us about that appearance on that beer. uh it is a semi-translucent amber color i mean literally it looks like the thing they got the mosquito out of in jurassic park uh it's it's very attractive uh it gave me a nice inch of a very foamy pillowy head which honestly it's still hanging around about three-fourths of an inch there now uh, a very, very, yeah, it's good very fine bubble profile on there with a few bigger bubbles, which I think are just from like finishing the bottle pour. But that does look very delicious, and it makes me want to take a sip. So we're gonna flip the script on this and give appearance of the triple. Let's give it an eight point six. An eight point six, wonderful. And our favorite category, Reese, flavor. What is the flavor on that? good looking triple oh yeah it's very malty a lot oh my goodness a lot a lot a lot of fruit the prune is definitely representing a little bit of apricot like i said just a lot of that stone fruitiness sweet with just a little bit of bitterness that way you kind of only get from that uh how do you want to describe it you know those when you get like an authentic beer from you know germany belgium austria like that region it definitely has that contrasting fruity malty bitter profile to it so i think it tastes very good i like this a lot uh i'm gonna roll with another 8.6 on flavor all right Solid, solid 8.6. I would love to try it, but I'm looking at untapped right now and where people are purchasing these beers from. And here are the following stores that I've seen. John V on untapped purchased it from Macro, M-A-K-R-O, which is a shop in, drumroll please, Nordbrabant. Obviously... Dude, yeah, I, I have time to take a flight from Kansas City to Des Moines via Chicago. I got time to go to Nordbrabant. <laughs> Come on. Well, and if you don't have time there, you can also purchase it at Jumbo, which you find in Gelderland. Oh, dude. Heck yeah. Gelderland. It's the best. So I don't know if I'm ever going to try this beer unless I also find your dealer. But uh, yeah. to be continued. All right, so uh, we got flavor off the list. Now, mouthfeel. What's the mouthfeel? 10%er. We got a lot of stone fruit in there. I'm, I'm assuming it's kind of heavy. Surprisingly, it has a very medium body mouthfeel, and it's a very sparkly mouthfeel. I mean, it is carbonation central up in there, oh. which is funny because, like I said, you don't see a whole lot of carbonation going on in the glass. Uh, it's mm -hmm. just sitting up top, but, I mean, when you drink it, I mean, sparkling is the only way to describe that. I can't remember the last time I had a beer that, like, sizzled that much. Uh, it's very nice. I think the high carbonation really offsets the fact that it's a 10% beer, which a lot of these, 
particularly when you get like an American, you know, style Abbey Ale or Triple or Quad or something like that, they can get a little syrupy and a little heavy in the mouth. Yeah. So. Yep. Again, if I'm going to say that this has that very, uh, you know, Bavarian, Germanic, Belgian kind of contrast of sweet and bitter, I'm going to say it also does a very good job of hiding the ABV of the beer and not being too heavy in the mouth. So for that reason, I got to give this, this is going to be a 9-4 for mouthfeel. This is a very elite level mouthfeel. I was going to say, I think in Europe, Europe enjoys all of their beers being drinkable beers no matter what the style is because like you you don't want to have to fight to drink a beer when you're out with your buddies like beer beer drinking like the 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 inception of a beer hall is uh, drinking is purely social mm-hmm. you know where i feel like in america it's it's now more of a event to drink especially like high abb a- ABV beers like you you want the bite you want the you know the like craziness of the alcohol to hit you where in in Germany and in like European beers like still stay true to the to the morality of beer and it being a very social event therefore making all the beers crushable well <laughs> it's, it's very true and a lot of times over here when you get beers that have like a higher ABV or a high malt bill you know, I've had like 6.8, 6.9% scotch ales that are like one and a half times heavier in the mouth than this. And it's kind of like, Ugh, it's a little bit too much. It's coating me. But I mean, <laughs> this is probably like the most crushable 10% beer I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Reese is, Reese is going to have quite the day in his in his new setup here. He's going to crush a few of those, roll around on the carpet. Start breaking down some Dirty Dan film on Twitter Live. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. You might even hear some more ASMR. But before we do all that, Reese, aftertaste. Uh, it's interesting. It's a very uh, a bit more of a bready aftertaste for me. A little bit sweeter. Uh, I taste the alcohol and the aftertaste more than I do when it goes down. I think that's really all there is to report about this beer. Uh, when I exhale, yeah, I definitely not only taste, but kind of feel the warming sensation of the alcohol as well. So, again, not a bad thing. Uh, for that reason, I think I'm going to give aftertaste on this hey, 8.3. All right, 8.3. Not too bad, Reese. Let's finish it out with BDQ. That's right. Broncos defense, not quite it. <laughs> True that, <laughs> ever since Von Miller left. All right, so BDQ on this beer. Again, this feels like, you know when you see somebody and it's somebody's cousin and you're like, yo, I can totally Uh-oh. tell that you're related to such and such, you know? I'm not, I'm not going full on Alabama here. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, if I saw, uh, I think if you put one of my cousins in the same room as my younger sister, you would be like, oh, wow, I can see how you guys are related. That is what this beer does with the history of other imported beers I've had of high quality, where it's like, wow, you know, I've, I've uh, how do I want to put this? I've listed off the reasons. You know, it's not too heavy in the mouth, even though being 10%. 
It's got that nice contrasty flavor being kind of sweet and bitter at the same time. I feel like I'm tasting the ingredients and not just a mishmash of stuff. So it tastes very imported, high class, out of this country, out of this world. BDQ for the Meritsus Trapel is going to be 8.5. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, you've probably never heard of this beer or brewery before, so breaking news here on Fountain City Sports Media. I have a brand new beer that you can find only at Jumbo and Macro. Heck yeah. Formerly of Reese's Cabinet. Stay tuned for some for some more beer content. You don't want to miss it because you've never heard of this beer and you've never heard of butterfly yeast until today. That's right. You can't live without our random Jeopardy knowledge. Stay tuned for some more random Jeopardy knowledge as we finish out the podcast and talk about our deep about our offense. Sorry, because is our offense broken? Broken. segment where we've discovered new things about beer and new beer butterflies and the netherlands actually not the netherlands belgium butterflies and belgium yeah i got a quick question i was looking at the back of this bottle and what the heck is a schmetterling zucker (laughs) butterfly sugar (laughs) oh no Gotcha. It's actually in every beer. How deep does the chrysalis go? <laughs> How deep does the rabbit hole go on talking about this offense being broken, Reese? Uh, pff, I don't know. It's it's tricky because the offense looked good for like the first three and a half, four weeks of the season. I mean, they didn't look perfect, but they were putting up, you know, like 30 plus points per game with ease. The home run play wasn't there, but they were putting up points. I I don't know what's going on, but if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that, you know, our defense was going to find a way to turn it on, I wouldn't have believed you. However, if you were going to tell me that our offense playing as poorly as is is going to turn it on, I would say, yeah, I could see that happening. They have weapons, but at a certain point, uh, when's it going to happen? I'm, I'm sort of sitting here with a little bit of that sweat drop. There's like three memes I could reference right now, but I'm going to pass the torch off to you. Do you think our offense is broken, Hot Take Mondo? Enough. Enough talking about Patrick Mahomes being broken. Enough talking about this offense being broken. I'm instilling the Madden curse. The Madden curse is here, but not in the injury type of way. It's just in the way that we have awful luck. Just putrid luck, Reese. We talked about how it may be mechanical. We talked about how Patrick Mahomes had to get his mojo back. We talked about the different ways the offense have to play. Well, look, yesterday Broncos played cover one. Yesterday, Patrick Mahomes was still getting his looks. Yesterday, he didn't look broken. He wasn't trying to make the big play. In fact, he probably should have tried to make the big play once or twice. He was playing a conservative offense, which is what we've wanted him to do. Um, And we still won 22-9. But I want to give a curious stat. And this is two 
the curiosity of these tipped interceptions. So right now, the Chiefs rank third when it comes to yards per drive with 38.75 yards per drive. Mm-hmm. But they rank 15th in the NFL of points per drive with 2.14 points per drive. So the Chiefs have been the best team in the NFL on a yards slash drive basis this season. The issues are the drops, the turnovers, and the penalties, but more specifically the drops and the interceptions for me. So the offense is still moving, but there's always something that happens, right? It's not every drive, but we're seeing at least two to three drives a game where there's a drop, there's an interception, there's a third down conversion that just doesn't happen. So it's not like the offense is not rolling. They are. They're they're the third best in the NFL right now when it comes to that yards per drive. I solely think it's just sometimes Patrick Mahomes still not throwing, not really getting some guys. He's still throwing behind guys, uh, more so than overthrowing. And then, of course, we're seeing these tip passes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. Um, And I'm chalking it up with luck, right? We're still seeing the athleticism of Kelsey, still seeing the athleticism of Tyree Kill. There's no regression to the mean when it comes to their talent truly an enigma truly what do you what do you think reese um i do think you have something going on there with the bad luck because i think it is now seven interceptions patrick Mahomes has thrown this year where it hits the receiver in the hands and it tip drills directly to somebody uh contrast that with you know the baltimore ravens against the pittsburgh steelers final drive this last week uh Lamar Jackson got strip sacked and the ball didn't bounce straight to a stealer. The ball bounced towards the sideline very quickly all the way out of the sideline. Two plays later, he throws a game ceiling interception that gets called back for a penalty. You know, it's like we haven't gotten half that luck this year in regards to bounces of the balls and tips of the passes. I do think it's interesting that Kelsey, I don't want to say he's regressed, but it's almost like he's playing injured this year or he just kind of wants to take a year off or something because he seems a little bit slower getting up. He doesn't seem to have the same kind of pop in his routes. He seems to be kind of off page with Patrick Mahomes where they used to be able to read each other's minds. Tyree Kill, I think he's still playing a great safety valve role for us. Home run ball hasn't been there still because of that cover too. But this year in particular, I think he's three or four of those tip drill passes. I mean, he usually... Yeah, I think he has the most of them, and but Kelsey also has the second most or something He like does. Uh, you know, Tyreek's got great hands and he's got great tracking ability, but this year he just he can't bring it in. And I know you kind of mentioned that Pat's not throwing all of these, you know, like dead center to him. It's like, yeah, but... You know, how many quarterbacks throw the ball directly to their receiver at all times? Like, if you have two hands on a ball, unless it's, like, super, super high the other way and your body's going the other direction, it's like, you got to bring those in with those sticky, sticky gloves. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I I didn't put up this stat, but I found one not too long ago um, about tipped passes, and it was, like, Tyreek Hill number one, Travis Kelsey two, and then... 10 tip passes lower was Stefan Diggs or something like that where it's just like 
it, it's such a insurmountable lead between two or three and two. Like it's crazy how many tip passes there's been. And you're right, it's not all on Patrick Mahomes. It is on these guys that need to make these plays. Um, so I'm not necessarily worried about it, especially because we're winning and we're beating legitimate teams. Like we beat the Cowboys. The Cowboys are good. The Broncos, maybe not the greatest, but their defense is still pretty solid and still a playoff in the hunt team, right? Emphatic win against the Raiders. Um, so we're still having really good wins despite, you know, this offense not being the greatest show on turf. But not only is it the tip passes, Reese, but we also saw a conservative playbook from from Andy Reid juxtaposed with a weird aggressive playbook by Vic Fangio. Like if Vic Fangio would have kicked the ball three times. You know, instead of going for it on fourth down, like at least three times and just kicking the field goal, this would have been a one possession game going into the fourth. So how strange was that to see, Reese, to see kind of the hats reversed yesterday? Well, I mean, you've seen John John Harbaugh and a few other people try and do this before in the past, too, where it's kind of live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, it's like, we're going to win this game because we got to keep up with them points wise. So we're going to go for it on fourth down all the time. And it's like, okay, yeah, but when you get stopped once or twice, like the Broncos did this game, it's like it goes completely out the window. Uh, Man, uh, it's... It's all really interesting to me. I, I know Fangio had that quote say, at halftime saying, we're not going to beat these guys with field goals. Uh, it's like, yeah, maybe you can. Yeah, you could have actually. Yeah, <laughs> if you stick to your guns with you know situational awareness as to when to get those field goals. Uh, but I don't know. Talk about the Chiefs playbook. I think last night we're seeing more and more evidence of the Eric B. Enemy theory we talked about a few episodes ago. Uh, I do think those first two drives were so different in the play calling, were so different in the execution. I just, I don't believe that we only have like 15 scripted plays a game and like nothing else. It really does feel like two entirely different playbooks and play callings going on. And to add fuel to that fire... I, you know, I troll the Reddit threads. Uh, I didn't see this personally, but a couple people said on that second-to-last drive, I believe that was the drive with the quote-unquote QB false start, uh, when we were off the field, Pat was seen arguing with Eric Bieniemy. Really? Mm-hmm. And it's also been noted here... Breaking news, Reddit Yeah, Reese. Reddit Reese. Uh If you look back on years past with guys like Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy... Uh, there were periods, particularly in the years they were kind of up for a head coaching job, so to say, where Andy was known to hand the play calling off primarily to them. And if you remember, I think it was maybe it was 2016 where the Chiefs started off six and one, and then they wound up going like one and five over a stretch. Who did Andy Reid supposedly hand the playbook off to that year? Was it Matt Nagy? Oh, the coach of the Bears the next year. And how's Matt Nagy been doing? Not so hot. So, I mean, this could all just be hearsay and me connecting some Pepe Sylvia dots that aren't actually there. But I don't know. I'm starting to hit the subscribe button to that Eric Bieniemy theory after the first, second drive of the games. Yeah, I mean... I I think what we've seen 
is Patrick Mahomes is the one that is the aggressive one when it comes to the playbook, right? We see it in the Super Bowl when he's the one that said, let's run Wasp. You know, he's the one that's trying to be gutsy. We see it from weeks one through six where Pat is like the the entire pocket is, you know, he, he could stay in the pocket for five seconds, but he just automatically rolls out and tries to find, you know, McCole Hardman out there, you know, two on one trying to get a deep ball. So it, it's clearly Patrick Mahomes is the aggressor and B enemy, maybe slash Andy Reid are the ones that are the conservative type. So I, again, this is all speculation, but I bet week six when we see this flip though, this is when B enemy Andy Reid sit down with Pat and say, look, we want you to throw the deep ball. You just have to be judicial about when you're going to do that. We've given you all this talent on the offensive line. Use it. Stay in the pocket. And I think that's what he's doing. Unfortunately, sometimes when we have to eat our vegetables, we don't like them, right? And that's kind of what I think we're seeing with Patrick Mahomes and Biennemi, where Biennemi's like, stay in the pocket. Do the slant pass. Do the screen pass. Uh, just throw the ball out in a few seconds. Um, and I'm sure Pat sees things on the field that could potentially be these greatest show on turf highlight plays. Uh, but he has to swallow it and um, and pass it to the short pass. So I think in conclusion and how we fix this problem is that it's half and half, right? You establish a great running game. You establish throwing it to Daryl Williams like we did, right? 60 yards. You establish CEH in the passing game as well. Uh, three catches for 28 yards. And then you establish some of the running game so that then you can have Patrick Mahomes say, all right, you know, they're now crowding the box. We got cover one. Now let me cook. So I bet what they're arguing about is Pat's like, hey, it's cover one now. We got Tyreek Hill. Byron Pringles, you know, using his legs finally. Let's let's make a play. So I'm sure they're still trying to marry, you know, this offense where before it was probably 80% Patrick Mahomes, maybe not improving, but them saying, all right, you want to sling it, go ahead. And now they're trying to rein it back. That's what I think. I think you got some legs to that theory right there. And, uh, you know, also, I think I mentioned this earlier on in the year, how many times in the last three years have we seen Patrick Mahomes after a drive on the sideline with that Surface Pro tablet and Andy Reid, like, pointing at stuff versus how many times have we seen it this year? Maybe there's nothing to yeah, that's a good Maybe point. there's nothing to this now because Eric Bieniemy's the one calling the plays and doing this stuff. So, you know, Pat and Eric might not have the same rapport to do that. Uh, to throw a little bit more kindling on this theory fire, uh, if you remember in the preseason, we had three games this year. First game beat the 49ers 19-16. I think Pat played like one series. We didn't see anything that game. But the next game against the Cardinals, uh, Patrick looked more so like he's looked for a big chunk of this season where he seemed out of sorts. And we commented, like, well, it looks like they're really trying to dial up plays to McCole Hardman. And I wonder if that was primarily an Eric Bieniemy called game because then if you look at the third preseason game, the one you and I watched together against the Vikings, like we lit him up for a half. Like we weren't even like trying that hard. The play calling was just really yeah. good. The execution was there and we lit him up for a half. So again, it makes me wonder if we have Charles Dickens, a tale of two playbooks here or two coaches in regards to who's calling the plays. 
Yeah, I think I, I think to put a button on it, it would be great for maybe the enemy to establish these, you know, dink and dunk conservative plays to start the game. And then when the opportunity arises, allow Pat the freedom to say, okay, now we're going to flip the switch. But we'll see. These are all curious conspiracies that have founded... Uh, Founded evidence to it. So we'll see what happens there, Reese. To wrap up to see what happens, let's see what happens next week. We play the Raiders. Man, we go Raiders, then we have Donkey Week, now back to Raiders Week. Man. Uh, so Raiders lose to the Reds. Oh, wait, they're not called that. Anymore. Oh, Sorry. Armando's Three, canceled. Two, Watch one. out. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> the Raiders lose to the Washington football team 17 to 15. And let me remind you, after they lost to the Chiefs 41 to 14, they then lose to the Bengals 32 to 13, but beat the Cowboys in a very strange game because I think at that point Dak was banged up as well as Zeke. Um, so I wouldn't really count that as an emphatic win. Uh, Reese, what is your prediction on the tw- Sunday the twelfth? We got a we got an afternoon game there starting at twelve. Um, man, Raiders at home. You know, it's so funny. I had this notion after both the Raiders and the Broncos games when they lost what I would consider to be must win games to keep pace with the Chiefs. I'm like. I think this is probably it for the Raiders and the Broncos this year, especially losing to Washington the way they did and in such like a heartbreaking fashion at home. I can see this being the point where like the Ravens have really, you know, trying to make chicken salad out of chicken excrement this year and all those bad situations they've been in. <laughs> out of butterfly out yeast. Out of butterfly yeast. Yeah, exactly. Butter out of butterfly yeast. Um, but, you know, th- this might be the point where like they can't turn it on anymore. Like th- there's nothing else to give. Uh, but... I would like to believe that we know we have to hold serve because the following week we have a do or die with the Chargers where if we lose to them after beating the Raiders, suddenly we have tied at the same record, but the Chargers got a season sweep with us. So, I mean, every week at this point out really is very much must win. Uh, but I see another potential low scoring affair here. I'm going to go Chiefs, Chiefs 25, Raiders 22. Ooh. I'm going to say that it's another emphatic win for us. I really don't like this Raiders offense, even though they were really slinging it in the beginning of the year. Um, their, their leading receiver is Hunter Renfro and like maybe some Deshaun Jackson. Uh, Kenyon Drake is now out for the year, so Josh Jacobs has to be the, the cowbell on this team, and he's been banged up, so I'm really not that afraid of this offense, and I think because our defense is now playing the best in the NFL, according to points per game. Um, I'm going to say this is the bounce-back game for Patrick Mahomes as it was three weeks ago. How about another... 35 to 10. Oh, give it that 35 to 10 to me. I'd be so if it's 35 to 10, I will start getting on like the Chiefs Super Bowl or bus bandwagon. Uh hey, Woo! in the time we have I, I think we're there, but in the, t- in the time we have, I want to make one more quick just like gripe rant about something. Uh I, I've noticed this more and more. It's been a creeping slippery slope scheduling over like the last four to five years. And maybe I'm crazy, but are they backloading division games in team schedules way more than they used to? 
Because I mean, look, look at it this year. Yeah. So Raiders. I'm I'm looking at Raiders right now. So the Chiefs. Then they got the Broncos. Then they ended with the Chargers. Like the fact we had one division game in our first nine games of the season. Like that's ludicrous. It's like I like having the little roadblocks of division teams here and there. It's like it's like when you play the Pokemon games and your rival kind of shows up out of nowhere. It's like oh crap, I've got three badges, but he's got better Pokemon than me. What do I do? But I mean, now the fact that we got Looking over the last, what is this, uh, two, four, six weeks of the season, it's, it's it's Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, Bengals, Broncos. Our entire season series of the Broncos happens over the last six weeks, and we have five divisional games over the last six weeks. That, that to me, is ridiculous, and I think they need to do a better job scheduling these divisional games out, especially since they have 17 weeks to do that now. Well, I'm wondering if because they have the 17 weeks, that's why they're making the divisional games at the end, so that like teams like the Cardinals aren't sitting Kyler Murray for the last couple of weeks. If you make a division game at the end of the year and it's this close, maybe they set it up this way so that you can't sit a Kyler Murray at eight and two um, on week 17, so that these games are more competitive. You know, they get more money. It's, it's all about money. It's all about ratings. Of course, the last week when you sit players, the ratings, you know, no one's watching Matt Moore, unfortunately, except for you and I. Um, so I'm assuming that's why they're doing that, to make the end of the season for these really good teams more competitive, because those are usually the better fan bases. So I, I think you have something going there. I Just for funsies, I pulled up a random schedule. I'm looking at 2017. And looking at that, the first few weeks... Patriots, Eagles, Chargers, Washington, Texans, Steelers, Raiders. That was Kareem Hunt That was Kareem Hunt debut. Raiders week seven, Broncos week eight, and then Dallas by New York, Buffalo, Jets, Raiders, Chargers, Dolphins, Broncos. So you still have three of the last four games of the year being divisional, but like the the season series with the Broncos doesn't happen over three weeks. Like you kind of played them all once in like the first eight weeks of the season, and then you got them all again in the last eight weeks of the season. I, I want to see more of that in the scheduling. Do you know what I want to see more of? 2017, Kareem Hunt, 148 yards week one. Week three, 172 yards. Week four, Ugh. 101. Week five, 107. Week Ugh. 14, 116. Week Ugh. 16 to seal it, 155. Then the last week of the season, Albert Wilson, 147. Albert, dude, dog, give me some of that Albert Wilson love. He and Patrick the, Mahomes had a serious yeah, chemistry. Yeah, with the Patrick Mahomes, yeah, inception. Was uh, the Albert Wilson 147. I forgot about that. Jeez. Dude, it's serious. Hey, uh, very last thing. Fun stat of the day to keep track on here. As much as we talk about the Chiefs' offense not clicking on all cylinders, it's important to note that during the Aaron Rodgers tenure, for as great of a quarterback as he is with some of the weapons he's had, he hasn't always lit it up for 30 points a game as well. Uh, currently totally. this year, the Green Bay Packers are averaging a point and a half less per game than we are. And that's wow. with what looks like a much better Green Bay offense than our offense. I was going to say, I, I would say at the end of the day, even though the Cardinals are 8-2, and two, give me Aaron Rodgers over a banged-up Kyler Murray to win. Oh, yeah to win the nfc uh Roll tide. good stat yeah no look look everyone chiefs are fine chiefs are gonna be okay they're gonna click i mean patrick mahomes and eric Bieniemy seem like the nicest guys in the world so they're probably gonna figure it out 
just like you and me, Reese. We're the nicest guys. We always figure out. We're a fun. We're a fun team here. We're a fun family here. Thank you all for checking out this episode. Stay tuned for Raiders Week. It's gonna be great. In the meantime, check out our interviews. Donate on Patreon. Like our Instagram, and we'll see you next time for the Raiders. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 